Welcome to RIBA's Road to Recovery podcast series, a chance to peek behind the net curtains of a host of architects' practices across the country, to sneak into their lockdown worlds and hear their personal experiences of and responses to COVID-19. On the 31st of May, we were £21,000 down in the business and £21,000 up on the stock market. Because we set up in 2008 out of a recession, we both lost our jobs at that time. I think we were kind of acutely aware of how vulnerable architecture practices can be. What we're finding is that adrenaline of the initial stage is beginning to drop away, realising that there's a kind of a much longer haul for this. Hi, I'm Sophie Goldhill of Lidicote and Goldhill Architects, um, and we're based in Margate and London. So I'm Thomas Miller of Miller Howard Workshop. We're based in Stroud, Gloucestershire. Hi, my name is Paul Bulkley. I'm the founder of Snug Architects and we're both down on the south coast near Southampton. We're looking at business and business practice. How have you been managing practice finance in lockdown? We can kick off with Paul. In fundamental terms, we've been carrying on with our normal monthly management accounts taking a possibly slightly keener interest than than normal and trying to make sure we're predicting cash flow and and workloads going forward. But that's the bit that's proving particularly tricky. And obviously, there are a number of variables like the effect of the furlough scheme, which depending on how many people you've got on furlough at any moment in time, does have a big effect. So it's just a bit more nuanced and a bit more tricky than normal. We saw a significant opportunity in the downturn. Obviously, the stock market took a significant hit very quickly in the early days. And we, we made a decision that we would get involved in the stock market as a business, effectively spreading our risk across a number of other companies, rather than having all of our eggs in our own basket. And we made the decision to put about 25% of our capital into, into the stock market. And with the goal that my thoughts on this and my hopes on this were that we would be able to effectively cover any of our losses. And it's a long way to go. And the stock market, as we all know, goes up and down. But on the 31st of May, we were £21,000 down in the business and £21,000 up on the stock market. So um, it's, uh, it, was, it was so far so good. And uh, we'll see how we come out of this. And Thomas, how have you been working with the furlough scheme? Yeah, well, I, th- I think, as Paul said, it was kind of in the very initial phases, it was the uncertainty of the work that was the tricky thing. So we, we transferred all our kind of finances to zero, which gives us really good data about our finances. But actually predicting the workflow was quite tricky. First few months were OK, but then about three weeks ago, we suddenly had a kind of gap opening up in resourcing. So we did actually, in fact, take the decision to furlough four people but we're actually hoping to bring them back next week as some new prospects have come in with kind of projects starting and stopping and trying to judge cash flow and the resourcing is definitely the tricky thing. And Thomas how have you prepared for the bad times? Yeah interestingly we so about two years ago I I read a book that was called Profit First and so normally I think how a lot of small businesses run is they they do their business throughout the year as best they can and then at the end of the year they see what profit is left over. The idea of this book it was kind of one simple idea in a way was at the beginning of each month you take some cash out of the bank which you put aside as your profit and then you carry on the month forgetting about that money so in fact our office manager we've kind of asked our office manager to start doing this a couple of years ago and so she's been squirreling away uh, bits of money which we've then kind of forgotten about and we've been trying to build up three months worth of reserves which I think we're just about at that point which does give us a little bit of confidence that we've got a bit of a buffer for the coming months. 
Sophie, how does a smaller practice manage workload and staffing? I suppose maybe because we're smaller, we're able to kind of be a bit more agile. But yeah, we have taken advantage of the furlough scheme. We had a couple of jobs that were on site that stopped, that have restarted, but we sort of took the opportunity instead of just furloughing one person, but to give everyone the chance to, to have a kind of three week furlough time off, which I think was beneficial for them and then obviously financially beneficial for us as well. We've got an architect that works for us who's carrying out renovations to his own house. So it allowed him to push forward with those. And we've also got another part two architect who's hoping to take his part three exams in September. So again, it just gave him additional time to be able to prep for that. So yeah, I think it was nice that as uh, collectively as a studio, we decided that that was the approach we were going to take rather than, I suppose, just furloughing the one person that was related to that project. I think because there, were, there are five of us, it tends to be there is a lot of kind of sharing of the projects rather than it's just being one person that just, just deals with one, one project. And Paul? So we've I mean, we've actually had to furlough about half the practice. So there's there's 18 of us, or there were 17 of us at the start of furlough. We've actually we actually had a practice manager starting right in the middle of all of this, which has been interesting. But and we've honoured that commitment and and taken her on. But we've ended up furloughing about half the practice, and one or two people have have gone off for the three week minimum, and then and then have ended up coming back in to support on on bits and pieces of work that have come in along the way. But effectively, we decided to keep the senior architects on as the most autonomous staff and the ones who were most embedded in in most of the projects that were carrying on. And then we've generally brought in our most junior staff, actually, and particularly our part one student, because at the end of the day, if they're not getting direct experience during their year with us, then they're not really getting any experience at all. Yeah. And have you been making the most of loans, etc.? So different ways of financing yourselves? We have been lucky that we were able to get the small business rate relief of £10,000. So that was obviously really useful for us. And then we've also taken on a full £50,000 bounce back loan. Not that that we need it at the moment but it just seemed like it was a you know it was a good thing to have you know we don't have to pay any interest on it for a year and if it's still sat there we'll pay it we'll pay it back in 12 months time but it's just nice to allow us to have some breathing space to get on with our own development and self-initiated projects and the repayment rate after the year is only two and a half percent over six years so it's it's cheaper than remortgaging one's house for example so it, it seemed like a good opportunity to take borrowing. Paul do you think this period of lockdown has made you think about business performance in a different way? It definitely has I said to someone the other day it's a bit like when you come back from a few weeks abroad you see your home country in a completely new light and I think having been out of the office and been in a completely different context and working from a completely different perspective for a few months I'm definitely now seeing the world of our workplace slightly differently we will definitely be exploring more home working and we did some very quick back of the fag packet calculations and you know, we were looking at potentially even with fairly minor alterations to the portions of home working within the office an additional 500 hours a year of time spent with our families and quite quickly we can clock up about 100 grand of savings by not traveling to as many meetings and not commuting as much and we will definitely be looking to make some form of permanent changes off the back of this and thomas again it's interesting we we're collecting data for the last couple of years we've had a really big push to try and collect as much data as we 
we can on the business. So we do all our timesheets via Harvest. We use Zero for all our finances. We also use Airtable, which is like a combination of a spreadsheet and a database to collect all of the other sort of more bespoke data that we've got. We've been so busy kind of for the last few years that we haven't actually had time to analyse that so much. And so uh, now during this period, it seems like a really good time to start that project. So we're connecting all of those data sources with something called Microsoft Power BI, which is a really great visualization tool and using that to try and kind of get insights on the business and using it a lot to try and predict the future cash flow workflow and resourcing kind of pre the virus you know workflow was pretty steady and month to month there was a pretty steady flow of work and any sort of changes were over a long time period. Whereas now it seems that those workflows are much more spiky. So initially a lot of work dropped off. We're actually getting quite a few inquiries in the last few weeks, I think, as people begin to come out of a lockdown. When the lockdown first happened, there was a lot of kind of activity for moving the business to home working, making new ways of working and a lot of adrenaline around reorientating the business. Whereas now we're kind of three months in and we're reassessing that in the bigger picture. Also, the, I think what we're finding is that adrenaline of the initial stage is beginning to drop away, realising that there's a kind of a much longer haul for this. Trying to keep those energy levels up is, I think, is quite tricky, actually. And Sophie? Yeah, I mean, we, we have harvest and zero and always review kind of cash flow and projects going forward on a kind of weekly basis so I mean none of that suppose changed really I mean we I think because we set up in 2008 out of a recession we both lost our jobs at that time I think we were kind of acutely aware of how vulnerable architecture practices can be and so I think from the start I think put in a a lot, a lot of measures to give ourselves resilience to things like this happening. So I suppose just the predictability of things is quite hard to manage. And, and for us, the sort of the nature of our projects, the last few years, it's been probably five or six really quite large one-off houses but now it's a lot smaller projects but more of them so it's just sort of I suppose managing the transition between those two and being just five of us as as well you know when do we take people on when do we have to consider someone's role within the studio and at five it's it's like one project can change that quite quite easily. Picking up on what Thomas said how can we keep that adrenaline going? I think it's definitely the case that the adrenaline has um, has worn out. And um, I think the psychology of this journey has been absolutely fascinating. And, and I think we are, we're now in this phase where we're having to try and maintain our own personal momentum, if you like, and our sense of drive. And I think as leaders of an organisation, I've certainly had my ups and downs in that. And it, it isn't easy keeping, and you've got to kind of keep your own personal motivation going. And I think for me, that's always been about both a balance of optimism and being proactively working towards a goal. And I think for me, it was about getting vision for what this season is in the context of the life of our business and I think it's been a really great time for finishing some of the admin tasks that we never get round to so laying some of the foundations for growth and establishing some of the kind of core underlying initiatives that are necessary to grow the business in the future so we've been doing a lot more bidding for example and we normally don't have the time for bidding for the larger jobs that we really need to be going for if we're going to build to the next level. And we've done more bids in the last three months than we've done in the probably pretty much the history of the practice. That's really helped us refine our methods of doing bids, but also kept some real momentum and energy and a bit of discipline, a bit of pressure, actually, big deadlines, some, some stuff that's really kept us on our toes. And if, and if even, a, even a fraction of those come off, we'll find ourselves in quite a different position. And Sophie? Yeah, I mean, luckily, I suppose David and I are husband and wife team, so we can kind of pass pass that baton on between the two of us again I think because we're small we have perhaps it's easier to keep the momentum between us as a kind of
kind of small group of people. Like Paul said, we've sort of reflected on things. We sort of spent a lot of time on marketing, on going back over past projects and ones that we didn't sort of fully realise and, and getting some renders and visuals done for them. We're looking at the website and, and we also have two sort of self-initiated projects, our own self-build. So it's been great to actually have some time to think about that because it's always that's always something that sort of falls to the back of the queue. And we also bought a sort of commercial space in Margate for our own office and purchased some land behind that that we've had for nearly two years now and haven't done anything with. But we hope to submit the planning application for that in a few weeks. And Thomas, how have you adapted your business model? These kind of periods offer a really exciting opportunity to rethink fundamentally about what it is that we do. And I think that's really exciting potential as uh, as a profession as a whole. So both within kind of practices uh, themselves, but also to rethink as a profession how we work. So one of the things we've been looking at is we've noticed that a lot of people were coming to us wanting to build a house. They had the money, they had the enthusiasm, the energy, but they just couldn't find a site. So we started trying to look for a opportunities to make more one-off sites for self-builders available. We've basically done that by looking at helping landowners rather than sell to a developer where they'd get a wholesale price for their land, persuade the landowners instead to install the infrastructure to allow for individual plots to be sold to self-builders. They'll then produce much better housing because they're building it for themselves rather than for a profit. And we think this is a really kind of exciting opportunity. So we have a sister company called Lived in Custom Build. And we've gone through a cycle with four sites now for that but we're looking at trying to expand that so that it's so that other architects could get involved in that and to all of you really what's the top thing you're going to take back into business i think the big thing actually ironically doesn't necessarily relate to the business as such it actually probably relates more to the home but i think it is well it has definitely been the longest period of time i've had the privilege of spending time with my family in years and it's good and therefore you don't want to just return to the old normal And I think architects have a nasty habit of working hours that are far too long and it comes at a price. So I think this has really brought home that you can still run a business effectively without having to put those hours in if you if you can get ways of being efficient and using technology to help you do so. Sophie? Because we've been designing our next new build house, we have changed actually the, the layout of it in relation to how we're working at the moment. We're going to define a separate sort of study area in the garden that wasn't part of the original plan. So I think that kind of fundamentally has changed things. Thomas? I think the other thing is realising that when you have a kind of collective vision, it's amazing the things that you can achieve or a collective goal. And that's just demonstrated that actually the world isn't as static as we might sometimes think. We do need to have a, a collective goal in order to make big changes. And I think that's something really exciting for the future. Sophie Goldhill, Thomas Miller and Paul Bulkley, thank you so much for taking part in this RIBA Road to Recovery podcast series.